All right, brothers and sisters. Well, for the rest of us who are here, um, this is the, the very last Sunday, as we've said before, of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it was great to see uh, the video and um, to see, I mean, how excited the kids were to be on the video. It was just great. Um, so, um, but this has been a, a, just, it's just a great opportunity um, this whole year just to kind of go over some of the stories um, from Scripture and uh, as well as being able, again, kind of to, to do this with our children, our biological children, our covenant children. Uh, so that's been just a real blessing. And so we were thinking as a worship team, how could we kind of do this today? And, and we thought that we'd like to do kind of a recap a little bit. Now, we don't want to, we can't do all of the stories because that would take way too long. And um, so, but we are going to try to recap about 10 of the stories. And so we've got, I've got some help to do this today. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a couple folks, uh, Amy Crispin and uh, Will Cunningham, who are going to help out out uh, by acting out the story, and then we're going to see if you, especially you children, if you can guess what the story is, okay? So they're going to freeze, and then I'll see whether or not you can guess. Now, I got to warn you, I didn't warn them the first service because I didn't know it was going to happen. Um, there may be some projectiles that are thrown out towards you at some point. So I, you might want to cover your head and close your eyes if you see them come out here, Okay. Uh, I don't want a, a lawsuit. Okay, is everybody ready for that? Is everybody ready? All right, okay. So let's begin then with the very first story and see if you guys can remember what this was. So they're frozen, which means we can say whatever we want to about them right now. Um, aren't you glad I warned you? Okay. So primarily for the kids who are here, can you guess what this story was? Go ahead. Just say it out loud. God creating. That's right. God creating the world. Okay. Great job. All right. So. God creating the world. And if you were here on that particular Sunday, you may recall what we talked about, which is um, uh, we were kind of, I, I, I read a letter that I had written to Shaughnessy when she was um, still um, uh, inside of Megan. So this was about 
one day before she was going to be born. And I just kind of talked about how excited we were for her and how we'd been kind of preparing her nursery. And we've been doing a lot of work, painting, putting the crib together, all of that. Why? We didn't know her yet, but we were so excited and we knew how much we were going to love her. And in very much the same way, God is preparing the world. God prepared the world, did all of this work. And the reason he did it was because he was so excited to be with us, to make a place that we would love out of love for us. And so one of the questions that we have is yesterday, my guess is most of you were outside on this beautiful Saturday that was yesterday. And I wonder how many of you thought about What a sign that was of how much God loves you, of how excited God is that you are here. So the question as we kind of think about creation is not just, wow, what a great miracle. It is, what does it tell us about who God is? What it tells us is that God loves us beyond all shadow of imagination, beyond what we could ever think. And do we fully understand just how much God loves us? Can uh, uh, can we guess what story this was? Yes. Well done. Well done. All right. Yes, the story of Noah's Ark. That's right. He took him two by two, right? And he had to do that, of course, because the world had become broken. The people who God had loved decided they didn't want to accept that love. And so they were broken. They were broken with God. They were broken with one another. And so this world was got incredibly messy. And so God needed somebody who said, we are willing to follow you and to help in the midst of this brokenness. But that was not an easy decision. And we sometimes don't give Noah enough credit, it seems to me. But the reality is, in our broken world, if we want to try to help bring some restoration, if that's what God desires, to bring wholeness and peace, shalom, then we have to be willing, bit by bit, board by board, and I don't mean to get too graphic, but scoop by scoop, in the messiness of our lives, in the messiness of this world, to trust in God. And to say, we want to follow you as disciples of who you are. We want to follow you in order to help bring wholeness in a world that sometimes with violence and with poverty and with hunger and with pain that oftentimes seems beyond any kind of hope. Are we willing to trust in God and to slowly build upon this kingdom that God desires us to do? That's the story, it seems to me, that we hear in the story of Noah and the ark. Well, 
What, uh, what, uh, what story do we think this one is? Yes. Joseph. That's exactly right. Well done. The story of Joseph, right? And so the story of Joseph, of course, is a story again of our, re- of our helping to join God in the restoration of what was once broken. And a part of the way that we do that is by when we are willing to offer forgiveness. So just as God has forgiven us, we offer forgiveness to others. And we talked about with Joseph, you know, he who had been thrown in a pit, who had been sold in slavery, uh, who had been unjustly accused, and who had been forgotten in jail, that he could easily have said, I am not going to forgive anymore. I am tired. I am angry. But he didn't do that. Each time he kept forgiving. And because of that, God was able to use him in miraculous ways. Because of that, there was reconciliation and hope in their family. There were people who were fed in terms of Egypt, of all the country that was in famine. And the Israelites, of course, eventually were given a refuge for a while because of the fact that Joseph said, rather than getting angry, I am going to forgive. And we talked about that on that particular Sunday. We wrote down on a piece of paper, who is somebody that perhaps you need to forgive? And then we came in, if you recall, and we put it in a piece of water, in a piece of, or in some water, I should say, and we stirred it, and the water dissolved as a sign of our commitment to be a forgiving people. And so my question for you is over these last several months, is that something that has continued to be on your mind? Do you continue to see and understand that in your forgiveness, Do people receive peace? In your forgiveness, do people experience God? We have a script here. Okay. So who can guess who that was? Yes. Moses and the plagues. See, these kids have got this. All right. Moses and the plagues. Well done. And in Moses and the plagues, of course, you know, we talked about the fact that there was Moses and he was at the burning bush and he could easily have stayed at that burning bush at this great worship experience, if you will. However, God told him, If this thing starts teetering this way, just someone tell me. God God told them, God told Moses, do you remember this? He said, the sign that you will know that I am with you is after you have gone and helped to bring freedom to these people and you come back to this very place. In other words, you will only really fully understand and experience God when you are following him, when you are going and taking the risks just as God has called us to do. And so a part of what we had to learn, of course, is that if we really want to experience God, then we have to experience it in more than just within these 
four walls here at 4775 West 116th Street. That we have to be structured in such a way that we are showing everyone that's what's important is not just here, though this is important, but not just the burning bush, but what goes on as we go out and follow. And so we talked about the fact that at that point, this was back in the fall, that we had about 35 or 40 people in our home groups, but that we were wanting, right, this was kind of, those were the leadership team to expand that. And, and right now, in this very time, we have around 250 people who are a part of those home groups. And that, I give praise to God for that. But that is a sign of the reality of the fact that we are beginning to see, it seems to me, that if we want to follow God, then we have to do it beyond what happens at the burning bush. But we have to be willing to go out and to help bring restoration and reconciliation out in the world. It can't just happen in here. So the question is, how good of a job are we doing at that? How good of a job are we in understanding that we have to go out into the world in order to bring peace and wholeness that God desires? All right. All right. So, all right. Zach, what do you got, Xavier? What do you think? What is this story? David and Goliath. Well done. David and Goliath, indeed. And we talked about the story of David and Goliath. We talked about the stones, right? And here were these five stones that, that, that his older brothers and the other Israelites had probably seen again and again. And yet when they saw those stones, all they saw was a rock. All they saw was something that maybe they could throw in the sky or that they could step on or they could skip across the creek. That was it. But David, when he saw these what seemed like kind of insignificant stones, he realized that something else could happen. And he had a God-sized imagination. And oftentimes, that's exactly why we need our children, because they have God-sized imaginations. And the point is that God wants to use not just professional people like pastors and not just professional organizations, if you will, like churches, but God wants to use all of us, right? That all of us can be a part of the restoration from tall to small. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. This week, I was thinking about that. We had a staff meeting where we talked about the fact that we have to do a better job of, of our people, us all, realizing that, that it's not just the official ZPC things that are the things that God is longing to do in order to bring restoration. And so this week, as I was watching the news, uh, all of a sudden, I saw ZPC's Jeff Papa, and he was talking about an orphanage that he had started in Nepal many years ago now. And, and the reason he had, well, he had started because he had gone on a trip over there, but, but they were concerned what happened after obviously the brokenness in Nepal over the last couple of weeks. And, and the good news, of course, was that, the, was that all the orphans were safe, which was great. But it was a sign to me as well that we may not know that. 
But that that is still ZPC and God at work all the way across in Nepal, unbeknownst to us. Or, or the same week in the mail, I got a, a magazine that had our own Sharon Pierce uh, right there. She was the cover girl, if you will. And, and it, was, it was about talking about the villages, right, and, and, and the work that she does to try to foster uh, uh, kids and, and, and to adopt kids. And I thought, this is amazing. This is a sign that God wants all of us, not just me, not just Scott, not just the staff, not just official mission of ZPC, but all of us each and every day. There is a stone that you may be looking that for, or that you may be, that you may see that is a sign, if you would but see it, that God wants to use you. So the question is, do all of us, from the age of Xavier, to the age of Jim Crab, right? All of us, all of us, in order to help bring hope and restoration to this world through God's love. Who wants to wager a guess on this story? Yes. Mary and Joseph. That's exactly right. The story of Mary and Joseph. And this is a story that we talked about on Christmas Eve, about the reality of, uh, of how God brings restoration with us. God comes down in the midst of where we are. And how sometimes, we talked about this again on Christmas Eve, about the reality that sometimes we, um, we, we make these assumptions, right? We sing songs, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And any of us, right, who have ever had a one-night-old baby knows that that's exactly not true, right? That there's no such thing as a silent night, holy night on that first night. But sometimes we try to sugarcoat the story a little bit in order to make it a little bit more, I don't know, fancy or romantic. But the reality, of course, is, is that Jesus was crying, and that Jesus came down in the midst of our messiness. He wanted to get close to us in the midst of our messiness. And so a part of the question is, how often do we try to hide those messier parts of us? How, how often do we come to worship, if you will, with kind of the more the better parts of us, and we aren't honest and open about who we really are and the things that we're struggling with and the things that we're wrestling with, and that Jesus has come down in order to restore all of us, not just the good parts, but all of us. And are we open to being vulnerable to the realities of who Jesus is and to the reality of who we are? And do we genuinely believe that there is no part of us that is not given hope because of the fact that Jesus, Emmanuel, has come into our midst?
All right. So, what do we think? Anyone wager a guess? Yes, ma'am. The guy that was in the woods, that was Jesus' cousin, uh-huh, and a little more clarity, that's right. And his name was? That's okay. John, and his last name was? Baptist, that's right, good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> that's right. John the Baptist, that's well done. That was exactly uh, right there in the birth certificate, exactly. So, when we talk about the story, of course, of John the Baptist, what did we talk about? We talked about the fact that here, as Mark describes it, God tears open the heavens after John the Baptist has baptized Jesus. He tears open the heavens, right? And, and kind of the akin to kind of my, my nephew, my young nephew, who on Christmas Day would rip open the present. And the two things that you knew in the way that he was ripping open the present, one is that he was incredibly excited to get to it. And two is that there was a good chance that that present would never be the same again. And that is exactly how the Spirit of God works with us. Oftentimes, we only think that the Spirit of God is the comforter and he's, he's soft and cuddly. But the Spirit of God is also the Spirit that longs to get to us, to, to, to come at us and to change us. And the reality is, if we really want to help bring restoration to the world, we will only be able to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. But we need the Spirit who says, I am not going to let up. I'm going to keep coming after you. I'm going to drive you to places you may not want to go, but I am going to do this because I love you and because I love this world. And so the question is, are we at ZPC, are we open to the Spirit? And are we open to the Spirit taking us to places we otherwise may not go, doing things we otherwise may not do? Do we genuinely believe in that Pentecost Spirit? Can I freeze you guys? Is that up? It's great. Great. All right. Now, the answer to this is not Mary Poppins, and that uh, would be an easy. Uh... All right. What is the answer to this question? Who is this? Someone who hasn't. Yes, ma'am. The feeding of the 5,000. Well done. That's exactly right. So the feeding of the 5,000, and this was, a, 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 this was a passage that John Grabiel looked at, and he, he talked about the fact that here there was this kind of insignificant amount of food, and the disciples, all they could focus on was how insignificant it was, and they, they didn't see the reality that no matter how insignificant it may seem, that God can use it in miraculous and remarkable ways in order to help, in order to feed, in order to give. Uh, and so God wants to use every single 
part of us. And that's incredibly critical for us to remember. And, and sometimes there are things that we do that we may think is insignificant. I mean, one of the things that John talked about was a food pantry. And we may not even realize what's going on down there on that wing and, and, and how much we offer. And it was one of the things that was really kind of remarkable is after he preached that sermon, I was talking to someone at the food pantry a couple weeks ago. They said ever since that time, which was early in February, that they have gotten in twice the amount of food every week as they had gotten before, which I think is great. And then something that happened about a month or two ago is that Megan and I were in our house and we were refinancing our house uh, that we have up in Chicago. And um, that's neither here nor there unless you want a house in Chicago. And we'd love, love to talk to you about that after the service. But we had a woman who came in who lived over in Fishers just to kind of help us look over everything. And when she found out that I was a pastor at ZPC, she said, oh, she goes, you know, it was about a, maybe a decade or more ago. She goes, I came to this food pantry at ZPC and they gave me food because I was in a hard time. They were living in a, it was a really broken time for her. And, and, and as she was doing that, then they told her about Great Banquet. And, and so she went through Great Banquet, not here, but someplace else because of what she had heard here. And she, she went to that and had this kind of spiritual revival, if you will. And over these last several years of God, she said, has clearly been with her. And she began to tell us about these blessings that had happened in her life. And it all went back to what happened at the food pantry. And I wonder how often when we deliver a box of rice to the food pantry, do we ask ourselves, I wonder how God might use this? And we might never see, I mean, if I had never refinanced that house, I never would have known what God did through that one box of whatever was given long before. And do you believe that no matter how insignificant you may feel like you are or something you have is, do you believe that God might use it? Because whenever God is around, there is nothing and there is no part of you that is insignificant and that he cannot use in order to bring wholeness and help and love. This was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. Zacchaeus, you come down. We're going to your house today. I think of all of them, this one was the most disturbing to me. Um, <laughs> All right. Yes, sir. What do you think? Zacchaeus. That's exactly right. That was the story of Zacchaeus. <clears throat> All right. So the story of Zacchaeus and what we talked about in Zacchaeus was that Zacchaeus was going to let nothing get in the way of him and seeing Jesus, him and experiencing Jesus. And so he, he ran, he climbed up the tree, he did everything he could. And the question that we had on that day is, why is it that they wanted that? Why is it that Zacchaeus was so drawn to Jesus? And the reason that we talked about was because of the fact that Jesus, as, as was told in the Gospels again and again, was willing to sit down and eat with the likes of him, with tax collectors and prostitutes and those who had been discarded, that Jesus was willing to cross over every boundary in order to show them love and grace. 
We talked about our student here who had sat there right in the cafeteria and who had decided that rather than kind of just being content where she was comfortable and the popularity of her table, that she would go over to share love with the person who was over here all by herself. So the question is, do we continue to believe that? Do we believe, are we living out, crossing over every dividing line, no matter what it is, so that people can experience Jesus. That's one of the questions it seems to me that we get and that we are asked in the story of Zacchaeus. That didn't happen the first time we did this at the 9 o'clock. All right. I'm, I'm only, is there anything else? Okay. All right. What do we think that story was? There you go. See, from the young to the old. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The story of Easter, of course, right? Great job, Jim. Absolutely. Let's just thank Will and Amy for, uh, uh, for their work, if we could. Uh, don't do any more. They'll get a big head. So we talked about it. Easter, here you have all of a sudden... You have the, the, the kind of the final restoration that has begun, that the last bit of brokenness, death, has been overcome by Jesus. And yet, and yet those followers of Jesus still found it easy to be distracted, to be distracted by their own confusion and anger, to be distracted by their competition with other disciples or churches, to be distracted even by, by simply just wanting to sit there and experience it experiencing experiencing Jesus uh, by himself and not thinking about anything else that might need to happen now. But that Jesus says, no, you have to go. Go out. Go to the east and to the west, to the north and to the south in order to share the good news that I have been raised from the dead, that death has been overcome. Which brings us to our final story today, which is the story of Revelation the end of the restoration. The time when the new heavens and the new earth have come, when Jesus returns. And John is sitting there on the island of Patmos and he's writing this story about what this will look like. And to use the paraphrase of the Jesus Storybook Bible, here's what he says. The king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they are gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, Look, I am making everything new. John came to the end of his book, but he didn't write the end because, of course, that's how you finish stories. This one isn't over yet. 
So instead he wrote, come quickly, Jesus, which perhaps is really just another way of saying to be continued. Because you see, the most wonderful thing about this story is that it is your story too. And if there is something that my hope and prayer is as we have gone over this year, it is that all of you, no matter how old, no matter what your station is, that you will know that you are a part of God's story. That God loves you and is excited to be with you. That God knows that this world and perhaps your world are broken. And yet God will not stop coming after us because of his love for us. And likewise, we are called to go out and to help share that good news of the gospel through feed, through feeding others, through everything that may seem insignificant to us, that God can use anything in order to help us to participate in this story of redemption and restoration until he comes again. So sisters and brothers in Christ, as we sit here, one of the things that happened, of course, is his disciples were there at Emmaus, that what Jesus did was, was he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened. In other words, they discovered, they realized that if Jesus was alive, that the story had changed and that they were a part of the story, which is why they then ran to the other disciples to tell him. And when Jesus took the cup on that day, as we talked about at the last supper, he poured it and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. The reality is that when each month, when we eat of the bread and the drink of the cup, we are engaging more and more deeply in this story of God. Our story is becoming more and more entwined and intertwined with God's. So this morning as we do communion, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to have six stations that are around here, and you'll take the bread and the cup, just as you always do uh, whenever we do tray, and you can take it back to your seat if you'd like. But as you go to that station, and it doesn't matter which one it is, whichever one is closest to you, you are going to hear these words. Remember, you're a part of God's story. Remember, you are a part of God's story. And if a part of your story and God's story is that you are gluten-free, well, then let me remind you to come down to right here. I forgot to say that at the 9 o'clock. But whether you are gluten-full or gluten-free, remember, never forget that you are a part of God's incredible story.